Alright, so we got lots of ground to cover today, so we're just going to jump right into the passage. I'm going to put it on the screen, and I'll read it. You're welcome to follow along on your device or on your Bible, whatever you got. So, starting in Romans 13, verse 8. Paul says, Oh, no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so we're going to stop there and we'll pick up uh, Romans 14 here in a couple minutes. I want to cover this section because this section is about love. You go, wow, it's not even Valentine's Day. We're going to talk about love, but we're going to talk about love today. And Paul tells us in this passage, he tells us who to love, why to love, and how to love. And so let's look at each one of those individually. First, love who? Who should we love? Paul tells us, he says there, another, love another. If you go into the NIV, it says fellow man. So we say, okay, well, what does that mean? You go back to the Greek, and the Greek just means others. It's just very general, others. Then later, Paul says, love your neighbor. Look at other translations. It can be described as one who is nearby. One who is nearby. I think those of us, those who live in the city, your, your neighbors might be a little bit closer than maybe some who live out there in Brighton like John does, right? So <laughs> there's those who are nearby. And it just means others. Who should we love? Others. So, Paul is really making it very broad for us. We just want things to be narrow. Oh, if it would just be other believers, if it would just mean love my family, if it would mean just love my friends, if it would just mean the people I agree with, it'd be a lot easier. But Paul says no. That's what God is telling us. We're not just to love those who are close to us and share our values we are to love others. And so, I think, who should we love? I need to see my role as a follower of Jesus is to extend his love to others. And that's to everyone. It's to everyone. And everyone means everyone. Even those who have a political sign in their yard that I don't agree with, right? I still need to love those people as well. So Paul says that's who we should love, and then he says why? Why should we love? He answers that question as well. There's a couple reasons. The first one is that we have been loved first. Paul says, oh, no one anything except to love each other. If you have the NIV translation, it says have a continuing debt, a continuing debt to love. 
And if you're like me, you go, ah, debt is not a real good thing. And I, I know I have a little bit of financial debt and I'm working really hard to try to get out of it. Uh, Paul says, here's some debt that you just are going to have and continue on with. Continue with it. And so we go, okay, how is this a debt? How is love a debt? Well, Paul has laid that out in Romans for us as we've gone along here. And so we can probably ask and answer those questions. Who is love? God. God is love. It says that. God is love. Well, how has God shown, how has he demonstrated his love to us? In Jesus. He sent Jesus, his son, and Jesus died in our place. As we talked about, that's the maximum level. It's the maximum demonstration of love. Again, I would not, I might die for you, but I'm not going to let my son die for you. But God has done that. He's shown that love. Now, Paul has also shown us, he's answered the question, what does God require? God shows us this love. He goes, okay, here's my love. And now what does God require from us for that love? Nothing. He requires nothing. God requires nothing for us. That's why it's so amazing. I will put this picture up here. I want you to imagine this guy. You can't see his head. We're going to call him the benefactor. You know, a benefactor is somebody who's very wealthy who comes and gives you money, right? And so he shows up and he pulls out this wad of cash. And let's imagine those are like million-dollar bills, right? And so he shows up, and maybe you know him, maybe you don't, whatever. He shows up and he says, I, I want to bless you here. And he pulls out this money and he hands you all this money. He says, I bless you with this. You owe me nothing. You go, wow, that's pretty awesome, right? Now, he also might say, now, I've blessed you with this. And I don't have, I'm not making any demands, but my encouragement to you would be, go and bless others. Go and bless others. Right? He might say that. Now, his gift has no obligation. It's just a gift. He says, here, you can take it and do what you want. I would encourage you to do this. Likewise, we can ask that same question about God. God has given us Jesus. He's like, pulled Jesus out of his pocket and said, here, he's for you. It's the maximum demonstration of my love. Does God require anything for that? No. But he says, hey, go love others. That's my encouragement to you, is to go love others. It's a free gift. And now most of us, would, if the benefactor came to us, we'd be really excited. And if he said, hey, you should go bless others with this, we'd be like, absolutely, <laughs> right? And we'd go bless others. Well, that's what God is telling us to do. Jesus said it himself in John chapter 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. In 1 John 4 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. So why do we love? Why do we have a continuing debt to love? Because we were loved first. Now Paul also says here in Romans, there's another reason. Another reason why we love is that we're in a spiritual battle. Yes, we are. I think we see that very clearly in the world around us. There's a spiritual battle going on between good and evil. And Paul says, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. This is the language of a battle, of a war of something going on. He says in Ephesians 6, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
It is a spiritual battle. And we see the evidence of that in our physical world all around us every day and every week, don't we? And so Paul speaks to that here in Romans. He says, wake up. Wake up. He's saying, see it clearly. Look at it. It's very clear. He says, cast off works of darkness. Cast off works of darkness and make no provision for the flesh. In other words, don't join the enemy. There's this cosmic battle going on. Be on the right side of it. How do we get on the right side of it? He says, put on the armor of light. Take some actions to get into the battle. Get into the battle. And one of those actions is loving others. Love others. If not... If we don't love others, we are ignoring the spiritual battle. I think that's pretty cool, isn't it? Hey, you're going to go to war, and your main weapon is love. (laughs) Sounds kind of ideal, doesn't it? Not a machine gun, it's love. That's what he tells us to do. Paul goes on, and he says, love how? And he gives us a few Ways, a few hows. How can we love? By living properly. Verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. As we've been talking about in Romans, making choices that honor God, making those choices will bear good fruit in my life. And what we're seeing here is that when I make good choices... It not only bears good fruit in my life, it bears good fruit in others' lives. How can I show love? By living properly. By following that path of sanctification. By loving neighbors. How can we love? By loving our neighbors. Again, it's very interesting. He says, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet any other commandment. Wow, we're back to the Old Testament law and we're back to these things. But he sums them up and he says, guess what these things are? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. I think sometimes we think about sin in such a personal way. But when you look at this and you go, wow, adultery and murder and theft and coveting. Oh, yeah, those do actually harm the community around me. The people around me, my neighbors. Whereas being committed and promoting life and protecting others and honoring others, that brings good. That brings good. It's going to bear good fruit. Therefore, obeying these commandments and obeying the other ones that are there are a demonstration of love to others. A demonstration of love to others. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. God has this list of what we can do to be sanctified. We're already justified. We're already saved if we receive that free gift of salvation. Now we can be sanctified, and sanctification bears good fruit in our lives and in others' lives. So we need to love neighbors. Then, we need to unite with other believers. Yes, we are to love everyone, but there's something special about how we relate to others who are in the faith. And that's where Paul moves us right into chapter 14. And so I'm going to read chapter 14. Again, I'll put it on the screen for you here as we move into it. I apologize, this is a little bit longer of a passage, but it's all in the same theme. So just read along, listen along, and then we'll talk about what it means. He says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. 
One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. For who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, I don't think we would normally stand up here and say, hey, let's let's give a message about food. But here's this passage, and we've come to it, and we say, all right, well, we're going to address it. We're going to address what's going on, and I think Paul is using this as an example. What does it mean to love other believers? What does it mean? In this chapter, it means not allowing our preferences to divide or harm others. The point, right there in verse 19, pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. That's the point. We've got to love others. We've got to love each other. And we go, wait, we can have preferences? Yes, we can. We can look at Scripture and we can say, yeah, there's guiding principles and yet there's room for us to disagree about stuff. There really is. I think it's amazing. I think it's actually beautiful 
Sometimes we go, oh, I wish, wish we all had the same faith and believed the same thing on every little thing. And I go, no, because then we'd look like these guys. It'd be like the same guy marching around. Instead, God has created us beautiful. And we have different convictions on different things that are not essential. See, we can't develop those opinions. We can't develop those convictions. And we can base them on our personality. We can base them in our culture, on our situation, on history, etc. And now this is not talking about essential doctrine. Let's be really clear about that. And Paul, I think, is very clear. This is not about the gospel. The gospel is clear. It's the thing that unites us. I love Romans 10.9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That is essential. We will be united on that. We can't have different opinions on that because it's very clear. This is a key central doctrine and there's some others. But when we get beyond these things, we realize Paul is saying it is okay. It is okay to have different opinions on non-essential doctrines. You've all probably seen this quote before or heard it. I didn't realize it was Rupertus Meldinius who is the one who said it. I thought it was somebody else. But anyway, he said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And of course, charity, we would say love. And he was talking about scripture and things that are essential and the gospel and the key things of faith we must be united. But in non-essential things we have freedom. But in all things we have love. And I think this is an important concept that works its way through scripture. And so the problem we see is that sometimes, or maybe a lot of the time, we develop convictions and we take those convictions and we undermine the work of God. And that's what Paul is talking about in Romans 14. Again, I feel like I have to say it seven times. Convictions are okay. It's okay to have convictions and to have opinions on these things. And in fact, I think there's even something good about that because if you come to convictions about certain things, it means you're in faith. You're wrestling in faith and thinking about and praying and working through issues so that you can draw closer to God and build your faith. And I think that's really good. But... Letting those things cause division between you and other believers, that's not okay. That's what Paul is telling us. It's not okay. Now, when it comes to people who aren't believers or aren't yet believers, we go, oh yeah, of course we're going to disagree and we're all kind of just okay with that, right? We go, well, you don't even agree on the essential things and so, yeah, it's okay. I just can't understand. That's my neighbor who lives over there and that's the kind of thing they're going to do and all right, I'm not really bothered by that but when I get into a fellowship of other people who share the same faith, sometimes I go, man, everybody ought to think about everything the way I think about it. And Paul's saying, no. That's not true. That's not how God made us. He didn't make us into be clones. It's okay to have disagreements. Oh, that's freeing. That's freeing. And of course, he's talking about non-essentials. So, what are non-essentials? Well, I could probably spend the rest of our time just listing out non-essentials. But I'll give you some examples of some non-essentials that come to my mind. And I'm sure you could think of others as well. So, what style of music to sing? Yep, there's no scripture that tells us, listen to this or sing that. Okay? Alright, so that's one. You can come to different convictions on that. 
how to dress, what to wear, in all different sorts of arenas and all different sorts of things. Again, you can see how culture and location and geography and history and personality and all these things could influence that. And there's scriptural principles that could inform how we dress. But there's freedom in that. How the government should tax. So just throw that in. Brad talked about politics a little bit last week. And of course we have an election coming up. And we can all come to different, different opinions about, well, the government should tax these people or those people or this much or that much or how much. We could come to different opinions about these things. There's scripture that might guide us in that, but we have freedom. How to educate our children. I homeschool my kids. Some of you public school your kids. Some of you private school your kids. Some of you don't school your kids. No, I don't know. There's all different things. There's scriptural, again, principles that can guide us into making these decisions, but we can make these decisions in faith and have a conviction, and we can have a disagreement on these things. The Sabbath. That's another big one you see from church to church. And how do we celebrate these and this and that? And Saturday, Sunday, working, not working, going to church, not whatever. There's different opinions on this. And of course that leads into holidays. And Paul mentions that there in Romans 14. Of course this week it's very timely. Right? Halloween. It's one of those things that can seem to divide Christians. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. You should. You shouldn't. It's okay. It's fine. You know, there's even some people here in our church who maybe grew up in one world and now they're kind of in a different world. And we go, okay. It's okay to have disagreements. It's okay. And then Paul gets to the big one that he makes the example in this passage is what to eat. Which almost seems kind of funny, doesn't it? (laughs) What to eat. We can get disunited about what to eat. Yes, we can. Paul chooses food as an example. You go, why food? There was, I just made a whole list of things. You could come up with a whole other list of things too, I'm sure. It's like, why did he pick food? Why did he pick food? And he goes and spends a whole chapter talking about food. I mean, he throws in the one verse about holidays, but it's really just about food. Why? Well, I think there's four reasons he picked food. The first one is this. Everybody eats. I don't know how many of you grew up on Sesame Street like I did. This is a screen capture from a little Sesame Street bit. The song was, Everybody Eats. I'm pretty sure they used the word beats to rhyme with eats in that song. But it's all about, yeah, everybody eats. Now, you could take any of those other things on the list and probably just about anything else you could come up with and you could probably think of a time and a place where people don't do that or that doesn't apply. But there's always going to be a time and a place where people are eating. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or you're poor or you're young or you're old. There never has been and there never will be a time where food isn't part of what's going on. Right? We even go back into the Bible and you go back into Genesis. And in the beginning, you got people and they're eating. And we go to Revelation, you go to the end, and what's going to be at the end? A feast. It's always going to be part of what we're doing, probably even into eternity, right? And so we go, okay, that's probably one reason. Everybody eats. Another reason, I think, is that eating is the ultimate personal decision. It is what it is. And everybody has to decide what they're going to do, unless you're an infant, unless you're in the hospital getting an IV, or if somebody is torturing you and stuffing some other kind of food down your, your mouth that you don't want, right? Otherwise, it's your thing. And it consumes massive amounts of time and energy, doesn't it? Right? 
my wife and I, we have six kids, and so in our household of eight, we, we like to think of uh, meals as like waves in the ocean, right? You ever been like out, I'm going to go stand in the surf, and you get bashed by a wave, and then you stand up, and then the next one comes, and next you, that's what meals are like in a household of eight. It's just this constant, constant, you just can't stop. We like to take vacations so we don't have to cook. <laughs> Eating is, an, is the ultimate personal decision. I think the third reason is that eating is primarily a public event. I don't know how many of you went to college and ate in a dining hall like this. I did. But it's not always like this. But think about it. How many of your meals do you eat with somebody else nearby or around you? Whether it's with your family, at a restaurant, sitting at your desk... Wherever. You've probably got other people around you, so it's actually, although it's a personal decision, it's a very public thing. Like, I went back through my week, and I think there was one meal I ate by myself. Like, actually alone, like nobody else present in the house. And that's because I'm the only person on staff here, and I don't have any coworkers. If I had a coworker, I would have been around somebody else, right? So you could think through your life. I bet you more than 95% of your meals, somebody else is in the room. Even if you're single, that's probably true. Fourth reason is that eating will always potentially divide people. Don't look at that lady's eyes for too long. It's a little creepy. They're like googly eyes. I'm questioning my use of this picture. But eating always potentially divides people. In ancient times, we think about it. We go, yeah, there was like the fancy food for the really wealthy people. And then the poor people just kind of, I don't know, picked fruit off the trees or the olives off the trees or whatever, right? In the Middle Ages, we think about the nobles and the peasants and it was food divided them and then in modern times we have organic and conventional Whole Foods versus Walmart right? It divides people it's always going to divide people and so we could say well alright this example probably does ring true it rings true today and you know at our church we've even noticed that you know, our church has been around for 14 years and really over the past decade we've really seen food blossom as an issue for folks. You know, 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago, part of our church, you know, when we weren't in this building, we were meeting other places, we met Sunday nights, and we had dinner together. And there was basically hardly any issues whatsoever. People would bring food, we'd have a potluck, you'd eat, it'd be this sweet fellowship, and we'd go on. It was very easy, and now it's much more challenging because of how sensitive the topic of food is for all of us. And you know what? I don't even think that's bad. So I'm not condemning that and saying, oh, I wish we should go back to that. I go, nah, I think it's actually good because I think a lot of people have like, started to think about and pray about and develop convictions on this issue. And I go, that's really good. Like I said, having convictions is good. And I think as a church, we're learning and growing of how do we sort of walk this stuff out together. I think of the fall festival yesterday, and I go, wow, I think people are really trying to come together and how do we sort of meet each other's needs and not be divided on this. And I know our gospel groups are trying to walk this out as we have relationships together. So I think this is a great example. We don't need to take eating that Paul gives us in 14 here and translate it into holidays. We can just talk about eating because it's an issue that we're all facing. And again, I've got to say it over and over again. Convictions are okay. I'm not condemning anybody for having convictions on eating. It's good. It's good to have convictions on food. 
So let's walk through what Paul is describing here. So I thought through this and prayed through this and prepared for this. I thought, I think this is kind of what's going on. So we can kind of imagine he's saying, okay, we got a couple different persons, people. And here's person A. That guy looks really funny. He's like way too excited about this food. He's so excited he's causing the food to levitate. Now, I don't know. He's like really, really excited. And he really loves food and you'd go, man, this guy's got some deep convictions about its stuff. And so he's probably up there and he's going, hmm, because of my conscience and my convictions, I will eat only this and not that. And That's what we have going on around us, right? All of us around us, there's a number of us make these sort of decisions, right? Some examples, they say, I will only eat natural food. I will only eat organic food. I will only eat non-GMO food. But it could be all kinds of things. And sometimes it's based on really legitimate health concerns, and that's great. And sometimes it's based on knowledge, or I've done a bunch of research, or I've looked at the Bible, and the Bible says your body is a temple, and we should care for it, and we're thinking about that. And sometimes, though, it's not those things. It's just based on hearsay, or I read this thing on the internet, right? And regardless of how you come to it, you come to this conviction, and a conviction is a strongly held belief that influences your behavior. And you might look at this, you might look at this guy, even though he's kind of cheesy and he's kind of a caricature, and you go, well, that kind of describes me. And I go, that's great. Don't be squirming in your seat. It's totally fine. That's who you are. No? Or maybe you might relate to person B. (laughs) Eating a giant hamburger with eight pickles on top. I don't know, that was a weird picture, but I saw that guy, and I was like, okay, so we got person B, and he's a little different, and he just is like... I'll eat anything, obviously. (laughs) And person B, you know, maybe has some preferences and might prefer some things to other things. And maybe person B has come to this as a conviction in faith. I said, in faith, I'm good. This is good. I'm closer to God by doing this. Or maybe they're just, yeah, I don't really care about food. Or, you know, I don't really have any pressing health issues. That's okay. I think you probably have some pressing health issues if you ate like this guy, but whatever. Maybe, too, they're just, "Ah, you know what, I haven't really given a lot of thought to what I put in my gullet. I don't know know how you could think and eat that way. But anyway, that's just a picture, right? And now you might sit there, you might be sitting out here today, and you go, well, that kind of describes me. I would probably tend towards that side of things. I might feel a little bit more like this person. Yeah, I'll eat anything, and that's kind of where I am. And that's okay. So we got two people. We got person A and person B. And they're both in different positions, right? They're in different positions on a non-essential issue, right? Eating is not the gospel, It's a non-essential issue. And so they're in these two places. But what can happen? Well, we know what can happen. Person B can say something like, Oh, those oversensitive food snobs, they make it so hard to just sit and have a meal. Right? And so then, how do you think person A feels about this? They feel judged. They feel condemned. And they feel like their faith is inferior. And then it goes the other way, right? Person A can say, ah, those lazy, unclean eaters are killing their health and ruining the environment and so on and so forth. How do you think that makes person B feel? Judged, 
condemned and like they have inferior faith. And obviously, neither of those is a good outcome. Right? None of that is a good... People feeling terrible and feeling judged and feeling divided is not the outcome we're looking for. It's not the outcome that God wants us to have. Now, you might look at this and you might say, I kind of am more like one or the other, and say, I've never said that to somebody. I go, good, I'm glad you've never said that to somebody. But we have to be really, really careful because we know that our actions also speak loudly to others when it comes to these issues. Right? You can think about somebody serves something and I refuse to eat it. Well, you didn't say this. But they might have heard that through your actions, right? Or you might make offhand comments about food. Or you might sigh. Or you might roll your eyes. Or you might have a passionate diatribe about food. About this or that. Or these people this or that. And you're just so passionate in sharing your conviction. And you not realize you're being really passive-aggressive towards somebody. Right? The result of these things is just hurt and disunity, and it's really a rejection of fellowship whether you intend to do that or not. And all of that is not reflecting the love God has for you and for me. See, God loves person A, and God loves person B. And that should be good news to all of us, because that means God loves me, and God loves you. And God wants person A and person B to love each other. He wants them to love each other. And we go, okay, well, how to do? How can I do that? How can I honor God and love each other? Well, we have these different convictions, whether it's on this issue of food or on some other issue. How can we do that? Again, food is just an example, so we could apply this to anything else on that list or anything else you could think of. And I think it's this. I think we need to only hold these convictions when we recognize three things. And I'll give you those three things I think Paul talks about in this passage. The first one is this. And this is really challenging, in some ways almost counterintuitive. It's that the deeper my conviction is on a non-gospel issue, the more difficult it will be to show love to others who don't share my conviction. The deeper my conviction is the more difficult it will be to show love to someone who doesn't share that conviction. Paul says that faith you have, keep it between yourself and God. And man, that's super challenging in the social media era, isn't it? We just want to go, ah, clickety-clickety-click. My opinion. It's very challenging. And so when you have this conviction, again, it's good to have convictions. Wherever it is, on whatever spectrum of whatever issue, it's good to have these convictions, but you have to be aware of this. You have to be aware of this. And so, who is the onus on for loving others when you have a deep conviction? It's on you. It's on you. That's what Paul says. And is it possible? No. He tells us not to pass judgment on one another. Decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Paul's saying as deep as your conviction is, it's up to you. It's up to you to show love in the midst of having that conviction and show love to others who don't share it. And that leads to the second point, which is this. While my convictions can grow my own faith in God, they also can be used to harm others. As Paul says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. 
You see, I put a picture of a chainsaw up there. Because every teaching needs a chainsaw. No. I, I, I finally got a chainsaw. Not quite like this. It's the kind that's on the pole that you can use to cut down branches. I, I had some, some trees that were bending over, and I needed to get some stuff cleared out. And I, you guys know me. I hate the yard work. But I was like, okay, I got this. It was sort of like I invested to go from the handsaw and the pruners to the chainsaw so I could really get the work done. Right? So I go out, and I chop down these portions of these trees and these dead branches and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome I'm getting this done and I'm taking care of these trees and I'm getting my yard looking good and then, and then what I could do is I could turn and look at my neighbor and across the fence see that well, he's got some dead trees over there and he's got some branches hanging off and I, I think I might go over there with my chainsaw and I'll just like buzz right through that stuff and just take down his trees well, maybe that would be helpful, or maybe it wouldn't, but what's missing? The love of me going up and saying, would I, could I help you? Or him coming to me and saying, I could use some help, or I saw you out there with that chainsaw, and I'm having trouble with these trees, can you help me? I could just go in and do a lot of damage. Maybe those are precious trees to him. Maybe they, he planted them there when his mom died or something. You know, I don't know what it is. Maybe he's got a conviction about, I want to have these dead trees here. I don't know. But I think in just my own world, I'm going to take my chainsaw and go buzz through this guy's stuff. I can't do that. And that's what he's saying. I can have these convictions. I can have this chainsaw. It's my upgrade from the manual tools. And I go, wow, my faith in God is great. But I could take it and cause some real damage for some other people, can I? So we got to be aware of that. we got to be careful how we wield our convictions. And finally, I should not let food or other convictions outdo my love. I should not let food or any of these other convictions outdo my love. I like that math equation there. My love should be greater than my convictions. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you find it too difficult to choose between your convictions and loving somebody else, then you may actually not be acting in faith in your convictions. You may not be acting in faith in your convictions if you find it too difficult to love, if your equation is backwards. You may be worshiping that thing that you have convictions on and not God. You may be. It's something to think about. So I should not let my convictions outdo my love for, love for others. So this brings us back to the beginning. Oh, no one anything except what that continuing debt of love except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law what's God's primary call? love one another love others love others have these convictions but you've got to love others well how can I do this? that's a good question first I'll give you three suggestions here first die to your preferences Man, we can all have preferences. And sometimes we can develop convictions about preferences. But can you die to those for the sake of others? It takes faith. It takes faith. And you have to ask yourself, can I trust God if I can to set aside this conviction to love somebody else in this moment, in this place? That is a hard thing. 
But I think we all kind of understand it, right? I think about if we travel to foreign countries for the sake of the gospel. I've had the privilege of going to India and China. I went to China this summer. And you go to these places and you go, you know what? Even eating. I go, I'm not going to be able to eat the way I normally eat at home. I was in India. And it was way out in the countryside, in this tiny village. And these people were so excited to have these Western missionaries show up that they went and they killed the family chicken and turned it into stew and served it to us. Well, you know what? It would have been very easy for me to go, oh, I don't know if they had a sanitary kitchen. And I don't really know where that chicken came from. And then when I was spooning in it, we discovered the claws and the beak of the chicken in the stew. I could have been like, ah, but what would that have done for the sake of the gospel? We all recognize, well, you just eat it. But we also kind of need to apply that where we're at and say, I can have this conviction, but man, if my conviction is going to get in the way of love, I probably should die to my preferences in this situation. Second thing we can do is we can listen and seek understanding. Sometimes we just don't communicate enough. We don't listen. And I don't mean a debate where we say, well, let's sit down and talk about our convictions and the best argument wins. And if I beat you, then you have to take on my conviction. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about listening. Listening. Just listen to where somebody is at. You know what? Maybe they're on a journey of faith. And maybe by you listening to them, you'll show them love and it'll help them on their journey in this conviction. Or maybe you're the one who's on a journey. And you need someone else to give you some input and some love and some help and change your perspective some. Third thing then would be communicate clearly. And we go back to the beginning, like we said, with humility. Oh, it's so hard to be humble. But you know what? Others may not know you have a conviction unless you speak about it. We just don't speak about things. We have these convictions and we don't talk about it. And maybe our intention is that, yeah, we don't really want to harm others by doing this. And that's good. But we also need to speak in love. And so here... What I'm showing is we've got uh, some thought bubbles, you know, just like we had before with the other people. Here's some other things we could say as a means of communicating clearly to each other. The first one, we could say something like, hey, you know, I don't blank, whatever that is, because blank and give a good reason for that. And then follow it with something where we say, however, I recognize that not everyone is or should be at that same place. I definitely don't want to cause challenges or problems or pass judgment. I'm still working this out in faith, and I'm so thankful for your love, sacrifice, and accommodation. And then maybe on the other side, or maybe it's not really on the other side, but it's just something for all of us, we could say, hey, I understand that you blank, right? And maybe we've heard directly from that person or we've heard from others, but to engage that conversation and say, hey, I understand that this is your situation. And to say, that's totally great. Whether it's our conviction or not our conviction, we understand that somebody else is in that different place. And we say, hey, that's great. How can I help you in that? If we don't know, we can help someone to just ask, how can I help you in that? See, I think above all, we have to remember that unity is a heart issue. It really is. It's an issue of the heart. And what we're always aiming for with all of this is unity together. And so here's some questions you could ask yourself. 
as you're trying to work this out. The first one is, will you accurately see the love God has for you? Will you see it? Because if you see the love God has for you, then you go, wow, he's the benefactor. He's the one I want to turn around, and he's blessed me with so much and loves me so much unconditionally. I want to turn around and love others that way. And so that's the second question. Will you let that love translate into loving others? Will you let it translate into loving others? And there's lots of ways to love others, but one of those is going to be in the church with other believers as we hold to our convictions and loving others whose convictions are in different places. So will you hold to your convictions only as long as they build up and don't destroy the work of God in the church or in just the lives of those around you? Will you make sure that that chainsaw that you have, you're developing that chainsaw, you're not going to take it and put it to work destroying others? So that brings us to the end of talking about Romans 14. And I just want to say, uh, I know this isn't a, a comprehensive take on what is a fairly complex issue and one thing that uh, really runs counter to what our world shows us to do and points us to do. The world wants to divide and we want to unite. And yet, unity doesn't mean becoming clones. It means loving each other right where we're at. So I recognize I probably can't really tackle this subject completely in just one uh, Sunday message. And so I would be glad to sit and talk with you uh, about this and help you walk this out in your specific situation, because I know everyone's situation is different. And again, I just would add that in there and say, hey, look, uh, if you, you may have very legitimate things and you may have very legitimate needs and very deep convictions on things, and I want to help you walk that out and make sure you do not feel condemned, that you're loved right here in this place. So that being said, I'll pray and close today. Yeah, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that you give us the truth, and thank you that you love us. God, you are that benefactor above all benefactors. Because you gave your son Jesus Christ to die in our place and you showed us your love in the maximum way. So God, help us to turn and love others as you instruct us here in Romans. And Lord, especially help us to show love to each other in the church. God, I'm so convinced that so many people who are outside the body of Christ look at believers and say they are so mean and so rude and so divided with each other. God, may that not be true in our church. Help us to pursue unity. God, help us to have convictions, to have deep convictions, to be really seeking out your word and the truth and looking at our lives, our situations, and wrestling in faith with these issues. But, Lord, help us not to let those things divide us us instead to make love for each other greater than our convictions. We ask for your help in doing this. In Jesus' name, amen.